Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello, I'm Bart Sheridan, and today we're digging deeper with Jeff Burr. Jeff and I will be referencing our recent sermon here at Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, and that's the second presentation in our current study of Paul's letter to the Philippian church. We'll be looking in chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. So, Jeff, good to have you back with us. It's been a couple months, but thanks for joining. So we are here spending some good time in this opening section, Jeff, of Paul's letter, but there could be someone who says, and I can almost hear myself sometimes thinking this type of thing, well, introductions are great, but Paul, can we get on with it? Can we get to the meat of the letter where all that doctrine is? What would you say to that person? Yeah, I, I was uh, looking at some of the feeling language that Paul uses here in oh, this section. Oh, that's not and, my native language. <laughs> yeah, and I think especially especially for men, maybe for you know introverted people, this is not how we think. And I think even given our Baptist heritage, you know, we, we're people of the book. I mean, we think about content. Um, but I, but I am struck here that uh, discipleship is not simply an academic exercise. Um, it's highly relational. I mean, God could have just, uh, you know, put put the the message of the gospel across the sky and three you know, points, and yeah, he could have communicated done. it in any in any way, and yet he chose to incarnate the message um, in in people, uh, sending his disciples to make disciples, and so I, I do think it's very instructive. Um, to, to think through the, the nature of Paul's, you know, relationship with these, with these believers, uh, they they were his, you know, in many ways his children in the faith, you know, and so that, you know, think about your kids, you know, we don't, we don't just uh, drop a syllabus on the table, you know, <laughs> and uh, there there's an embodied aspect to walking them through life and helping them grow and uh, conversations that happen off to the side and at the dinner table, and and I, I think we get a sense of that here from Paul. Well, we certainly do. And Jeff, I, as you're talking there, it reminds me of some of the best marital advice I got uh, years ago, and I still I still think of it, and that is, in order to know my wife, I have to study her. And in order to understand what Paul's saying here, it probably behooves us to understand him a little bit, how he presents himself and as a godly man and so forth. So uh, studying those individuals, character studies is important. Amen. Well, Jeff, if our calendar is correct, the calendar I'm using anyway, it's been about 10 years since the second missionary journey where this church was established, and perhaps as many as seven or eight years since Paul dropped back through Philippi during his third missionary journey. He actually came down through and went south to Greece and then back up through and visited again, uh, we're told there in chapter, I think, 20 of Acts, verse 3. So Paul uses these phrases here in, in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1 especially. He says, I hold you in my heart. He says, I yearn for you. He's talking to the Philippian believers there in the church. It just struck me. It's been eight years. How does that type of intimacy remain after eight years? It, it just strikes me as kind of odd. Yeah. Yeah. How do you keep that type of relationship alive? Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I do think that you know, this idea of family, again, comes back to the surface. You know, I reference that Paul thinks of these believers as his children, you know, in the faith. Um, 
you know, he had he had essentially led Lydia, the the, the matriarch of the church, you know, to Christ. Um, the slave girl that was, uh, you know, the demon was cast out, and and uh, the transformation that happened there, and then of course the Philippian jailer that had a miraculous conversion as well, uh, flowing out of Paul's imprisonment there mm-hmm. in Philippi, and so. You know, the, the, these these are these are people with whom he was deeply vested, and of course he uses more of the terminology, not so much of children here in Philippians, but more of brothers. But again, family family uh, relationship that I think is really highlighted here, and I, I just think there's an enduring aspect to a family relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, I my, my kids go off to college, and um, you know we 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 miss them, and months go by, and yet I don't forget about them. <laughs> You know, if, if anything, if anything, uh, we value the times we're able to spend together even more. Uh, we don't take it for granted, you know, as it were. The reunions are really sweet. And so sometimes those separations, I feel like, kind of accentuate, you know, our, our love and appreciation for, for other people. And I think the other thing in, in the context here is that they had endured such hardship together. Um, they had again, been attacked by the crowds, imprisoned. I mean, Paul says here in these verses that they were partners with him in grace and in salvation, uh, but also in imprisonment, um, which is interesting to think about. I mean, they're not in prison with Paul at the moment, but they had gone through all of that with Paul. They had gone to war together. <laughs> and those are, those are the, 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 that's the environment in which strong relationships are really forged. So I think there's a few reasons why um, you know, Paul speaks of them in the way that he does. We, we received word this week of, um, one, of the, one of the longtime members from our church up in Grand Rapids passed away. Oh, my. And uh, Russ was, um, was an integral part of the church in those early days. And, and those were not easy days. Uh, the early days at Forest Hills, a lot of of conflict and um, yeah, just disagreement about how to proceed, and a lot of discouragement. and And Russ was one who had walked along with me in that, and so that that triggered a lot of emotions for me, and and triggered a few texts that I sent off to many of the the, the peers of that generation uh, back in Grand Rapids this week that they were on my heart and on my mind, and so. Yeah, I, I just think I think we see that here in Paul, uh, family relationships and, and relationships that have been forged, you know, in in difficulty and struggle. And I'm I'm guessing too that perhaps Paul had received word at different times over that intervening eight years. Perhaps he had sent a quick hey how you doing letter that we don't have in scripture who knows uh and uh maybe sent some messages to individuals encouraging them but uh, well we we remember that epaphroditus i mean the church had sent epaphroditus you know right. that, that that was a incredibly long journey you know with the money uh to help support paul i mean that they were tangible expressions yeah. were tangible expressions of their love and sacrifice for him along the way that kept that relationship alive well and it reminds us too, and we shouldn't uh, dismiss this of the our responsibility to do just that. I received a, a note. My wife and I received a note from a longtime friend of mine who's become a friend, a distant friend of, of Sandy's, and uh, just said, you know what? You did something for me a year ago that I wasn't able to really 
I didn't understand maybe even how great it was, but over the past year I've thought and sent us a nice note, sent us a little gift that didn't need to, but that need to be included. But that just, boy, did it strengthen the friendship just in that one act that I picked up on my desk yesterday. I thought, wow, that meant something. That, that means a lot. Well, Jeff, another thing that, that caught my attention, we have the benefit of knowing what the rest of the letter references. I mean, we can go through chapters two, three, four. We, we see a, a somewhat of a treatise on humility and love of others. Uh, Paul talks about false doctrines that have evidently come into the church. He talks about those where uh, else uh, other places he they talk about Judaizers. Looks like that's happening here where they're trying to uh, force the Greek believers to adopt Jewish ways. And uh, they talk about church infighting, all struggles that the church evidently was experiencing. And when we when we know all that, and then we come back to this passage here in verses 7 through 11 of chapter 1, it really brings into focus what Paul is encouraging them to be and do there, especially in verses 9 through 11. But it seems to me that Paul's prayer in that section of Scripture is important to all believers in churches, whether they're in times of crisis or in times of relative peace. Yeah, I, I think Paul's prayer here does bring clarity. You know, like what what is, if you're praying for someone, what are you praying about for them? And we get that here for Paul. Like what is the driving priority and um, yeah, he wants to see them marked by a life of love for one another, uh, discerning love, not a wishy-washy, um, uh, sentimental sort of mm-hmm. love, but but um, a principled love and willingness to sacrifice for the other. And we just get the sense that's a that's a driving priority. I think we could read Jesus' uh, words to his disciples and realize that's the that's really the test of true discipleship. Um, uh, our, our willingness to, to love. So, uh, yeah, I, the, the gospel, the gospel is a is a set of beliefs. There's a content to the gospel that Jesus died and was buried and rose again the third day, according mm-hmm. to the scriptures. Uh, so there is something to believe that makes us a Christian, but there is also a gospel lifestyle. There is a way of living that is consistent with the gospel, and that's what Paul's. You know, really driving at here, um, the content, believing the content of the gospel is foundational, but it's not the end of the story. And Paul wants them to live into and live out their their faith. Uh, there's an interesting passage in Galatians two where Paul is confronting Peter. Uh, Peter had been eating with the Gentile believers, but then when others from Jerusalem arrived, he he began to pull back and separate himself from those Gentile believers. And Paul accuses him, again, that his conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He accused him, it says, to his face. <laughs> to his face. He says, what you are preaching, Peter, in terms of the gospel message, is not lining up with how you're acting. And... Uh, yeah, and I think that's that's a sobering thing for us to think about. You know, we we might have signed on the dotted line a doctrinal statement, we have given public profession of our faith in Jesus Christ, but does our life line up with the gospel? Is it marked by the love of Christ? Mm-hmm. And so this is Paul's prayer that they would fully live live that out. Um, and I think that's why Paul's prayer here is so instructive. Uh, it teaches us what is important. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of. Uh, you know, we've been praying for Dick Walker, 
right? Cancer treatments start this week, and we, we pray that there would be a successful treatment of that cancer. And Dave Gaffner, I was talking to him about knee, knee replacement and some of the other physical things that have slowed his recovery. We pray that there'd be full healing. But ultimately, we don't just pray that God would give us a, an easier problem-free life. Um, even as I pray for those individuals, I pray that they would grow in you know, in their love for one another, that they would grow in godliness, that they would uh, uh, live in such a way that they would receive God's commendation when Jesus returns. And yeah, Paul just helps us to know how to pray for each other. Well, let, let's take that down just a step further. It might be good for us to to spend some time applying these individual prayer points here in verses 9 through 11 in particular to perhaps a couple of the difficulties that we believe the church was experiencing. We believe that from the contents of the latter parts of this letter. Could you do that for us? Just sort of apply these prayer points to how they might flesh out in some of these problems that are they're experiencing. Yeah, I don't know if I would identify a lot of you know key problem areas. I mean, we have some um, you know some important decisions that are before us as a congregation mm-hmm. in terms of the pastor of administration position, for okay. example, that we have to work through, or whether it's budget priorities. But I just found myself thinking of you know do do, do are we thinking about others? Um, when we make our decisions in, in life, you know, so it's finances, you know, am I, I think about my budget, I think about my own family's priorities, but am I thinking about the impact of my spending on, on others? Um, uh, maybe it's uh, ministry involvement, um, or are, are you involved in an, in an ABF or a small group? And I've, I've talked to people who've said, you know, I just, I don't, I don't really feel a need to be plugged in in that way. Um, I've got some good friendships and, and sometimes I'll just have to press and say, but it's not just about you, <laughs> you know, uh, th- can, this, can I jump in there? Yeah. A dear friend, uh, one who's become a dear friend, a ministry partner, a leader in our church and one whose name, if I mention, everybody say, Oh yeah, he's, he's a guy, he's a man. And, uh, uh talked to him here not long ago and said, where are you, where are you ministering? And maybe if well, we're not right now, just sort of falling out, you need to be. And by golly, a mentor of mine kind of took it and he said, where do you meet? And I was a, I would love to have them, them in my class, but they came. And it meant more to my group than you could even know. Just what you said. Maybe you don't feel you need it, but other people need you. That's right. Yeah, Bob Bikert had a great word for the congregation Sunday morning. He, you know, he, talk, he kind of addressed those who are watching the live stream but not here in person. And, and in some cases, there's health reasons. and there's, But in some cases, it's just selfishness. Mm-hmm. And you're getting biblical content and instruction, but the church is robbed of your contributions and your your presence. And so I think just that you know we we are kind of conditioned to think in in rather individualistic ways in our culture. And so it really takes work for us to to start to think beyond that of um, how are my actions and my decisions you know impacting you know other people. We've uh, we expanded our parking lot uh, crew this week. You know, as the weather gets colder, more people drive instead of walk to church. And one of the things on our mind is we want to just make sure we're sensitive to the fact that we're not taking parking spots from our sister churches here uh, across the street. 
you know. So so just trying to help us think in deference to one another, and I think that that takes us down a lot of a lot of roads, uh, you know, if we if we really start to process that well. Jeff, it strikes me that there may have been here in some of these issues that the Philippian church was dealing with some concerns. Okay, how do we discern the will of the Lord in this area, Uh, whether it's through uh, uh, how do we discern God's teaching? How do we discern uh, God's leading? And we can throw any kind of number of things, finances and, and ministry decisions. That's something that comes up regularly in church discussions. So what uh, maybe can we take away from this passage here in 7 through 11 with regard to discerning God's will? Yeah, I think that's a that's a key takeaway from this passage. I think, we, again, we tend to think of God's will in very individualistic terms as well. Like, what is God's will for me? And generally speaking, the Bible doesn't speak that way. Uh, God's will, according to Thessalonians, is that we avoid sexual immorality. And that's that's for all of us, <laughs> that Pretty God's clear. people would avoid sexual immorality. So generally speaking, when the Bible speaks of God's will, it's, it's collectively. And um, so God's will isn't hidden from us. Uh, it's not something that we need to, 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 to discover. Um, but a, a text like this reminds us that you know, God's will is for us to love one another. <laughs> so uh, Paul's praying, let, love one another in, in, in a discerning and knowledgeable way. So that you will be able to, you know, fully um, live out all of God's plans for you. Romans twelve, I think, is another one of those passages. Don't be conformed uh, to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you will be able to discern what God's will is—His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when we are um, uh, living in obedience to Scripture, when we're living lives of love as we've been commanded to do, then we are able to discern. God's will um, in our in our lives, and Paul specifically says here in verse nine, "I pray this that your love will keep on growing in knowledge, and every kind of discernment." And uh, that knowledge is that deep experiential knowledge that uh, that is often used here in Scripture. Well, on that on that same area of uh, thinking about how God, how can you use me? What is what is your will for my life? One of the comments that someone in my adult Bible fellowship, our ABF, made as we were discussing this passage on Sunday morning was that in this prayer for the Philippian believers, Paul seems to be underscoring the important part that the the individual believer plays in God's plan. He's certainly talking to a church corporately, but he's speaking to individuals within the church. Can, can you comment on that? Am I missing something? or? Yeah, Paul. Uh, Paul, you, you often he speaks in collective language, but here he actually speak. You know, talks about yearning for for each of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he he's thinking about them as individuals, as part of the church, and so there's certainly that emphasis. And yeah, Paul, as he unpacks this, talks about you know praying that God would receive glory um, through the believers in the church and through their righteousness. Uh, talks about them being. Uh, you know, essentially, the, the you know wanting them to, to to have the fruit of righteousness. So it's an agricultural imagery. You know, we are to be God's crop, and uh, as we flourish and grow, that reflects well on on the farmer, on God. <laughs> and so, yes, our actions matter. Um, you know, in some ways, we don't we don't somehow contribute to God's glory or make Him better or bigger. But we reflect back 
his great glory through our actions. And so, yeah, we have a role to play in bringing glory to, to God. Recognizing that and also remembering the call to be humble. Uh, God doesn't didn't need to do that. He chose to do that. And he chose to use two guys who have no right to that call, that Jeff Burr and Bart Sheridan and any number of other people who can say the same thing. It'd be everybody. Jeff, I believe next week we're going to be working through the next passage there in, in verses 12 through 18. I know you've got some inside skinny, uh, some preaching team uh, experience here uh, that you've discussed here recently. Can you give us a little taste of what we might be expecting? Well, this is one of my favorite passages. I'm a little jealous that I don't get to preach it this week. Uh, it, it really helps us recast how we define success. I mean, here Paul is in prison. Uh, we get a little more sense of his backdrop here as he writes the letter. Um, he's restricted in his movements. He'd always wanted to get to Rome, but then he finally gets there, and he's not able to preach the gospel like he wanted to. And he, and he knew that the, this was a big disappointment, not just for him, but for the church as well. And so Paul has to kind of reshape their perspectives a little bit. He says, hey, don't, don't feel sorry for me. Let me just tell you that, that um, the gospel has gone forward uh, even in Caesar's household because I've been imprisoned with the, 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 the palace guard. They're stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's given me unique inroads. So I think Paul just helps us to think about success uh, in light of the gospel. And, and, and how the gospel is being advanced. And it, it made me think again uh, about our, our son, Johnny, Down syndrome. And when he was born, you know, I think we, we, have, we, we experienced the range of emotions. As we've looked back on his life, his special needs have thrust us into a whole world of special needs, put us into contact with people that hurting people, broken people, desperate people that we never would have encountered. Uh, a special needs ministry birthed out of our church uh, in part. And one of my own kids, uh, Abby, who uh, was so shaped by Johnny growing up that she became a special education teacher. You know, So when we begin to look at things through gospel lens, uh, it doesn't make our struggles any less difficult, but we're able to see that God is orchestrating things that we can't always uh, see on the surface. And I, I think that just comes through beautifully in this next section. So perhaps a good uh, study question or a pre-sermon question would be, uh, as we're coming forward for next Sunday, what has God put in my life that was unexpected and that maybe was undesired prior to it getting yes. here yes. Uh, that God chooses is choosing to use for his glory? Yeah. What, what might God be doing through my difficult circumstances? Self-examination and more God examination there. Well, Jeff, hey, thanks for joining, and thank you for your good work here. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity, Bart. Well, we've been digging deeper today with Jeff Burr, and you can access Grace Sermons and podcast episodes on demand by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking the Media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week. You can email those to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. And plan to join us next time. We'll be continuing our discussion of God's Word here in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan. I'm thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. 
In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.